Welcome to part two of this special episode with Scott O'Neill and Steve Birch. In part two, Scott and Steve are going to talk about some of the larger growth trends that are taking place, and they will also cover some stocks that could do well in the next uptrend. Let's start about the process, what everyone should be doing to prepare for this uptrend. And we touched on the data, but let's go a little bit more into the data because really the O'Neill data has stood the test of time for at least the last 50 years. Scott, why don't you talk a little bit more about this? Oh, I, I appreciate that. Um, I, I think everyone should know that we, we are known, and this isn't, I guess this is some pride in there, but we're known to have extremely high quality, accurate data. And um, it, it's what Arusha said uh, just a moment ago that not all data is equal. Most, it, it's very expensive to curate data and to make sure it's, it's very accurate. And we have an extensive process of, and, and it really is, everything that goes in that database is checked multiple times. And it's very important. I mean, at the end of the day, you're putting your hard earned money into a stock, into the market based on uh, the, the market Smith chart you're looking at. And it has to be accurate. Um, Imagine buying a stock. It's kind of like at that cocktail party buying um, some rumor, what, what's the hot topic people are talking about, or buying a stock from some crowdsourcing um, uh, website, right? Or buying it because of social media talking about it and hyping. And just think about the plethora of inaccuracies in all of those areas. And you, you um, come back to the William O'Neill database and the standards are so incredibly high uh, that you can have real confidence in that chart when you put your hard-earned money uh, in against that. Yeah, and, and so let's take it from that uh, to really, so both of you, were the creators of MarketSmith back in 2010. You took the, the amazing Daily Graphs Online product that, that I got started out with, uh, and you made it better. You made it easier. What was, what was kind of the thought process uh, really taking Daily Graphs on, uh, Online and evolving it into MarketSmith? Right, Steve, you ought to take that because you really were the uh, chief designer. Yeah, I'll take that. It was, a, it was actually a... Um, um, one of my first big projects for Bill and um, Bill had asked me to, in 2007, you know, I, I, I joined, I was at William O'Neill and he asked me to step in as the president and chief operating officer in 2007. That was right before the 2008 crash, you know, just perfect timing, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, um, and, and, and you're, you know, Arusha, you're right for those that don't know the history, short history, but, Bill had created a product in the 1970s, and, and Scott, you, you've told the story many times of how he did it over the weekend. And so when you look at that MarketSmith chart, that with the, uh, when you look at a weekly where it has some of the fundamental data on the left-hand column, and it has um, you know, the pattern rack there on the chart itself, and we've got um, you know, the log scale, and, and, and just sort of the placement. Well, this is so similar to what Bill designed in the 1970s, and it was really meant for um, not a professional fund manager. We have another product called Panaray that has, believe it or not, it's like a 
supercharged MarketSmith. It's even, it's, it's, uh, uh, it really is, it's on steroids. It's got global, you know, global markets and it's got a, a lot of other stuff. But Bill designed MarketSmith and he put in it and it's got a tremendous amount of capabilities. He designed the Daily Graph product to really replicate um, what he had done in print in the 1970s. And so at that time in 2009 and 10, um, there was a lot of change going on in terms of online applications. There, there was flash out there. There was a, a silver light as sort of what technology would you use? And, um, and we made a decision um, um, to, to invest in the property, to completely revamp it from the ground up um, and give it a new name, uh, freshen the brand and really, really think about the user base. What are they trying to do, right? So we really beefed up the screening um, we even, you know, a lot of the products that Bill had originally designed were very, very much um, can slim only, right? It was just, that's the way that, that the originator and founder wanted it. And we, we ventured out a little bit by putting the guru screens in and we said, you know, there are going to be times when people are not, uh, they're more value centric or they're more growth at a reasonable price or they're just curious, you know, they just want to learn about some of these different approaches to the market. And we've got a powerful enough tool and a, a, a really, really rich database. Why don't we put that in there? And so, um, you know, and we added some other, uh, we added, added the pattern rack. You guys, um, I'm sure many people listen to Mike Webster, who was a, uh, working at the time on pattern rack and really helped to codify all those rules. And that, that lives in MarketSmith. And it really, really was a leap forward because, People don't realize how, in, in years ago, Scott and I and Bill, we would go out and teach the technical elements of Can Slim, and we had no pattern rack. Like we would have to just put a chart up and sort of draw out for people. Don't you see the pattern right here? And it's really hard. You know, it's like trying to teach someone at, for a beginner, right? It's very hard. Yeah, it, 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 on, Steve, it, and, and I was a customer back then trying to learn this from you guys. It <laughs> it took me a couple of years to, to see it, right? Because once you oh, learn about the cup with the handle, all yeah. I saw was cup with the handles everywhere. But, you know, there, there's a certain cup with the handle we're looking for. It's like going to a doctor who's been trained on reading an x-ray and they all know what they're looking at. I look at a rack, so I have no idea what I'm looking right. at. Right. And, exactly. And, yeah, Scott and I, are, we're very fluent in that because we we grew up old school where we didn't have any of those assists, you know, we just had to look at the chart and, and talk to Bill a lot and then really understand like, what are we trying to, 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 to discern here? And what is this pattern that we're looking for and why, and why is it significant? But the pattern rec was added. Um, the screening was added. The, 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 the alerts were added, um, uh, the groups, the, the coaching. So, you know, Scott was, uh, was uh, gracious enough. I, I was busy working at William O'Neill um, and uh, and helping to revamp this product and Scott, you you came in in 2010 and we actually did the the launch of MarketSmith in New York City. So the big reveal and the big uh, you know opening day when it went live on the web was in in 2010. It's hard to believe it's 10 years uh, 10 years ago, um, and it was a, a just a an amazing team of developers that we had assembled. And um, interestingly, um, you know I hired most of that team away from the, 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 the firm that was helping us, they all wanted to join and they all had interest in the market. And I still have many of them. There's probably, there's probably at least, um, I mean, there's probably at least six or seven or eight of those original team members 
working within the data analysis organization uh, because they they just love a lot of the things that we do from an innovation standpoint. So, and they're all very very strong. Um, a couple of things you, your listeners can uh, hear our pride in the product. I can tell everyone firsthand that a tremendous amount of resources went into the construction of Market Smith. A lot of thinking, analysis. It was a very large project that Steve headed up with a uh, really solid team. And it was not a team of three or four. It was really eight, ten people full time. How long uh, was the project from start to rollout when we yeah, did start, the New York? I think it was 24 months, Scott, about two years, um, which is fast. You know, I mean, it was a it was a, we, we were meeting almost every day on on the redesign and the whole concept and the brand itself from the coloring and from the name. Um, I love to tell that story because we work with a great agency up in um, in Sausalito called um, Lexicon, and and David uh, Plasek, who's the principal, he's the owner of that agency. He their company named uh, the they named the uh, Pentium, they named the Swiffer. Wow. Um, they're they're just a bunch of linguists that sit around and come up with these fantastic brand names, and we were you know we were kind of homegrown, right? You know, the name of the product was Daily Graphs. Right. Very literal, right? And that's, exactly. that tends to be how an engineer or a quant or a mathematical inclined person thinks. And we, we went to, uh, uh, to, to Lexicon and said, you know, we got to come up with something that's going to really represent what everyone, you know, what it, and they, they had some really great analysis and on this. And they said, well, all of your listeners want to be Smiths and they want to, master the market we go you're you're right that's exactly what we're all trying to do you know yeah. so like like a metal smith or a silversmith or a goldsmith you're you guys are all going to be market smiths and that's really it's a perpetual sort of challenge right i mean that's why so mon- many of us love what we do in the market is it is this mystical puzzle that you just when you think you've got it figured out. Yeah. It shifts <laughs> on you a little bit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just enough to throw you off. Yes, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Market Smith, we're proud of it. It's a very powerful tool, and it actually is very elegant and easy to move through. But uh, we should probably move on, and Arusha. Yeah, let, let's talk about, you know, with, with shifts, let, let's just talk about some of the the larger growth trends that, that are going on right now. And, and that's a huge part of canceling, a huge part of what we do. We're trying to figure out what's the next big thing. Uh, and then some of the stocks that are appearing from that. So, uh, Steve, what are you seeing from a stock side, just from a trend side uh, that you can share with the, the listeners? Well, I'll, I'll now. This is sort of our our opinion, and it's a fundamental view. And and I I always like to engage in this because it helps us to um, not lean too much on the technicals. There's a tendency to just look at anything that's moving on the chart and just run and gun, right? And so, right. you know, uh, the theme that I've been talking about, and I know Scott and I, uh, you know, at one of the workshops. Uh, uh, two years ago, and this has been a recurring long-term secular change, which is autonomy, you know, autonomous vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we, one of the fascinating things about CanSlim is that N factor. And, and if you were to look at Zoom, or if you were to think about um, Five9, or if you were going to look at, 
you know, one of the themes right now is the, the coronavirus uh, work from home what theme, who's going to benefit, right? There's all the, everybody knows the names, RingCentral, DocuSign, yeah. um, uh, Zoom, you know, there, there's, there's, there's a half a dozen names that are being floated around on social media and anyone that's doing a little research can find them. The question to ask yourself is, are they offering something so new and so differentiated that we probably don't have any earnings risk over the next two or three years. And it really is drawing an audience, right? So if we go back and look at Qualcomm, or we look at Apple, or we look at Costco, or we look at Amgen, or we look at Syntex, we look at all these prior examples of great winners, you can always answer that question pretty clearly that they did have a differentiated product, they had a competitive moat, they did not have earnings risk and they were killing it with every earnings report. Like, here we go again, here we go again. Those are really strong traits of a, of a great winner, right? And, and it's important to think about that because a new product or a new service with that moat will enable that company to generate a profit. And one of the primary premises of, of, of our approach is that stock prices follow earnings. They're, they're highly correlated over the long term, right? Mm -hmm. Right. So we're always thinking through, when we're talking about the fundamentals, we're not just trying to compare trivia, right? Who knows the most about every little detail of the company? That's, that never happened really in the, in the O'Neill organization. That's not relevant, right? We were never, our analysts wouldn't come in and who's the smartest guy in the room because he's, he's know, he knows every line item on their, on their, on their P&L and he knows everything about semiconductor manufacturing. That's not what we look for. What we're trying to understand is, what they're selling, what they're creating, um, it, they, it's more than mind share, it's real share, it's real market share, and it's expanding, and they have an edge, and it's gonna be difficult for others to catch them, right? So you always ask that question when you're thinking about themes, and that's what I love about the, uh, and it's gonna, it's gonna have legs, and I, so I love the autonomous thing, because I know that when it catches, it will probably be, very similar to when the PCs came about, you know, and we had Microsoft and we had Dell and we had Compaq and we had all these personal computers that no one knew about, you know, 10 years earlier. They, they couldn't imagine having a computer at their house. And then with the, uh, you know, the invention of, um, you know, um, the internet, all the services that popped up from there, and then the invention of mobile devices and computing devices, all the, all the inventions there. So those secular uh, businesses that really, really changed our day-to-day -day lives, I'm really fascinated by. So when we talk about these more temporal themes, like, well, we're going to buy, it's funny, I, I remember driving in one day when the virus was in China, and I was listening to CNBC Asia, and all the reporters were talking about all the mask manufacturers. You got to buy people in South Korea that make masks. And I kind of chuckled, and I go, I know they're killing it. I know they're going to be, like, running 24-7, three shifts, but... Right. That is not a sustainable business, right? That's, I mean, if we can get through this, we're not going to have this virus in perpetuity forever and ever and ever where everyone wears masks for the you know, rest of eternity. I, at least I don't believe we are. Yeah, and, so, and, and none of those masks are going to have necessarily a moat unless they come up with some proprietary thing. Exactly, we, you know. Well, also being out there on uh, CNBC, it's probably too late anyway. Uh, that's that's probably, you're probably late to the game. So, so be careful. You're, you're late. Yeah, thematic, you know, it's, I just my word of caution to people is I and I love doing thematic discussions like, hey, it's going to be 5G or it's going to be uh, digital payments. You know, that's that's where it's at or it's going to be crypto or this or that. And I I'll be quite honest, you know, and I I, I used to do a, 
end of the year list of all the themes that I felt were going to occur in the following year. And I did that for like two or three years as an early portfolio manager. And every single year I was wrong. And I was just pathetically wrong on what I thought was going to fundamentally evolve. And I, and a lot of it was because I had sort of biases that recency biases, what I was reading or what I was listening to on television. And you, and, and I still do think about those because intellectually we're all, we're all challenged. We all want to think about what's happening in the world. Now, Steve, did you try, so when you saw some of those themes, did you, if you saw them break out, you tried them, but then you cut your losses, you let the market, the stocks tell you what yeah, to do. Yeah, you know, intellectually you're wrong, but you but still. But the 3D printing theme, you know? Yes. I right, think right. it's like, it's so quickly fizzled. Oh, yeah. 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 And yeah. So, so the other, what you have to do to counterbalance that. So we're all going to have that tendency to want to be the smartest guy in the room and be able to brag to our friends and relatives that I saw that, you know, I'm yes. the first guy in, right? Okay, whatever. We, that's all pride and ego. We want to put that aside. Really what you also want to do is your screens. And you want to say that the, there will be a theme in your screens. And you'll, you'll start to notice, as Scott said, there, there's going to be the top 40 groups you want to pay attention to, right? And when you want to pay attention to the, the stocks that have good earnings, because if we're just buying story names, you know, it's a crapshoot. But if we limit our screens to like the top 40 groups and we limit them to the, the uh, you know, a very loose screen would be a 70 or higher EPS rank. So now I've got the ones that are actually showing a profit, better profitability than 70% of the other names in the universe. Okay, so now I'm being smart about letting the market guide me. And then I look at those names technically and what's acting strong through relative strength. And I start noticing certain recurring patterns just in the, the, the screen itself, right? Mm -hmm. It might be a digital payer. It might be a SaaS theme. It might be a China theme. It might be like, oh my God, Alibaba and JD and PDD, Pinduoduo are all showing really strong earnings and they're showing good technicals. And I didn't even put that on my fundamental list. I wasn't even thinking about them. I don't, you know, because I don't go to China, but they're coming up on the screen. And that's when you you want to go the other way and say, okay, let the stocks give me a hint at what might emerge, then do my fundamental work and see if they've got the competitive moat, they've got the, the, the new product or the new service and so on. And we do, we, Bill was very good at doing both, right? We, we try to do both. You try to be very nimble in the way you're thinking about that next opportunity that presents itself. And so, so yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm always looking at, uh, uh, you know, autonomous, I don't know who the winner will be there. Um, 5G, we know some of the primary players. I think, I think China, an interesting theme is just if they can emerge first economically, um, there could be some, some interesting earnings reports. And I know they're still early in, in digitizing over there and using the web. That's why, you know, it's been, PDD is a fascinating story in terms of, you know, um, the, you know, like the, they're the, they're the Walmart of, of India in terms of the, the type of merchandise they sell. It's, it's very, 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 very cheap. And uh, a certain segment of the population likes to shop on that platform more than JD or more than Alibaba. And mm -hmm. it's a very similar story to what happened in America when Walmart was addressing the underserved in the rural areas. PDD does that throughout rural China, right? And to people that are, that are um, not as fortunate and don't have as much income. So, <laughs> you know, we look for those type of themes where we can remember from the past something that we see kind of happening today um 
you know, one thing that Bill, here's an interesting little tidbit, and, and Scott, you might remember this, but one, of, one, one thing, Bill made a lot of money in, in, in uh, healthcare, right? You know, Amgen, Syntax, and that, that just is a universal. People are always looking to extend their lives and minimize pain and just avoid getting sick. And, and, and so, so healthcare is a really interesting space, right? So we always like to, to look there. The trouble is many of those names are story names. They're very story oriented. So, you know, if you limit your screens to the ones that are making money, you're going to end up with a much smaller universe, but that's fine with us. You know, we want to, we want to see the ones that really do have um, some FDA approval or some competitive edge and moat. So healthcare has always been a, an area that Bill did really well. And the other area was, um, and he would always talk about thematically, and this, this continues to persist, is companies that help with communications, right? Mm. And I remember him telling me once about Xerox. And Scott, you might remember him saying how, you know, it kind of dawned on him that a simple, you know, dry copier was going to dramatically, dramatically impact the way we communicated with each other, right? It's not telecommunications. It's just we can actually copy material and give it to each other, put it in the mail and send it. That's, it was this huge breakthrough in our ability to, to get closer to each other, right? And to be more efficient with our communications. And I've found that theme that, that ties into 5G, right? Ties into the internet of things. <clears throat> that is a very long legged theme of just anything that helps us. And maybe we have to think about that, you know, with the social distancing, Maybe there's going to be a longing for, you know, somehow getting reconnected. But well, Zoom it. kind of plays into that with that communication right. thing. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And so then, you know, I remember one time <laughs> Bill telling me that he actually, uh, back to your communication uh, point, he considered the railroads at the turn of the century a process of improving communication instead of just looking at it as transportation. Interesting oh, they, twist. That is really interesting. And they were, Scott, because they laid the telegraph right next to the railroad tracks. So it really, and it really was, you know, I mean, it, it uh, and they had a telegraph operator at every, every railroad station. So, you know, he, he was dead on. Now here's the thing, yeah. like if we, if we're, let's talk about Zoom or, or any of these other thematic ideas. If you buy one, you go, okay, I, 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 I waited for the follow through. So I'm in trading in harmony with the market and I waited for the perfect technical setup. You know, there, there, there are three decisions you have to make. I tell people this, you have to figure out what am I going to buy? When am I going to buy it? And how much now what I'm going to buy you, you've, you've used your thematic, you know, uh, lens to determine I'm going to buy something in communications. Maybe you pick zoom. You're using your technical skills because you're reading the charts and you're using pattern rack and you're using, you're really being disciplined about entering the trade, right? Um, you also want to think though about how does it, how should it behave? Now, I'm not, I'm not going to talk about how much that's another, that's a whole nother call and topic is really your weighting in the portfolio. And that really gets down to kind of your conviction that you've got a big fish. You've got one of these model book stocks and that's where you can really parlay and 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 um, amplify your returns by not just buying once and sitting there, but really understanding what you have. And it's going to show up when I say, well, how do you know you've got a model book? Well, it's going to show up when they announce their earnings, right? Because we see this in all of our models. They're going to come out and they're going to shock you. Yes. They're going to shock you at how much they're growing their sales and their profitability and their, their earnings and their and you're going to go, oh my God, I wish I, I owned that business. I wish I was the, 
I was the, the you know, own the whole business or I was running that business because that's that's amazing, right? And that's what you want to see in your holding, right? If you're owning, if you buy the wrong one, you buy a uh, a stock in your theme, like a, and they kind of have a tepid earnings number, and you're like, oh, I got the theme right, but I got the do- I got the dog in the theme, right? Time to exit. Yeah, you got to exit. <laughs> And you got to figure out how to get the leader. And Bill would always challenge us on that. He goes, "You want to get the best stock in the best group, and you're all and you're going to be validated. Number one, it's going to rally. You know, you're going to have other like-minded growth investors running into that name, and then they've got to deliver. And you're going to get validation that you've got a big fish when you get that earnings, right? And that earnings comes out, and they should blow away your number, and they should tell you up up their guidance, and you're like, yes, yes, it's working. And then their ability to do that quarter after quarter after quarter is going to come down to their ability to execute as a, um, you know, as a growth company. There were a lot of people that were poo-pooing the, the, the Apple iPhone. Oh, you know, it's got a glass screen and who wants to type on that? And BlackBerry is going to dominate, you know, well, where's RIM, right? right. Where's Apple? Right. Well, and, and there was a big tug of war. And Scott, you remember, we, we had RIM, we owned it. It was a model book stock. You know, um, uh, that was for a while, for a long time, as was Nokia, as was Motorola, right? They all had their day in the sun. And when Apple comes along, there were people saying, oh, it's going to have its day in the sun. But we, you know, we're negative. It's going to go this way. Let the market prove to you that they are still winning. And they do it quarter after quarter of showing you through their revenue growth and their earnings growth that they really are dominating. And that's what happened with Apple. And that's where. Many of our listeners probably, because I know I've talked to them at workshops and ourselves in our family office, we, we really were able to reel that fish in, that, that Apple trade was a real wealth builder for many, many people. And again, that's the beauty of what we're all doing by engaging in the capital markets is millionaires were not just Apple employees. There were people that never worked for Apple, but they had the wisdom and the smarts to buy the stock to understand that it fit the profile and enjoy that appreciation because they were shareholders in a great, great business. And that's ultimately what we're trying to do, right? With every one of our, our buys, we're hoping that we're gonna get another one of those big big winners um, like an Apple, like a, like a rim. But, but you really, you know, you have to train yourself not to fall in love because if you're making a lot of money, you're gonna think it'll never end and you gotta be very dispassionate. And like BlackBerry and Motorola and Nokia, um, some of these names will fizzle and go to zero. And, um, and so you have to understand the life cycle of your, of your holdings. They're not, I'll buy it and hold it forever. I mean, capitalism, capitalism is a brutal, you know, system where, you know, we have this creative destruction going on. If you can't compete, you know, as a, as a manager of the business, you're going to probably, you know, shutter and, 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 and you guys know the numbers, restaurants and small businesses and, and Scott and I run a lot of businesses and we know how difficult it is. That's, that gives us a real appreciation for when we see a company generating 25% sales growth, we're like, that is amazing. All right. You know, so. You know, um, to quantify, let me quantify that point for the listeners. Uh, we have model books, as everyone knows, uh, that go back uh, to the 1880s. And even 20 years ago, the vast majority of those companies don't exist or they're in a different form or shape. Right, Arusha? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's remarkable how, how, how quickly they're either acquired or 
they're 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 trumped by so, someone else you know like apple coming in putting blackberry in, in trouble or nokia yeah yeah so, and i want to go back one last point on what steve was talking about apple just for the listeners big moves take time yes and so once you've got a good cushion and you you're pretty comfortable with the market trend and and how we uh, follow the market, um, you want to step back and give it room uh, and let the cushion build because it's simple. Big moves take time. And we're talking about multi years. I mean, Apple's been very good to our shop. And I'll, I'll say, you know, another thing that Bill would remind us when we would, when we would go into a bear market and there was, a, I'd always sort of, uh, I'd always remember that it always seemed to, uh, come about much quicker than you wanted it to. You just felt like I didn't have enough time to make the kind of money I wanted to make during the last bull market. That's so, they took the punch bowl away too fast. It always felt that way, right? Mm -hmm. But Bill would always say, and he was sort of, you know, he had that very optimistic view. He'd say, look, the, the, the bear market performs a function. And that function is to um, set the stage for the next bull market. And so you're going to have companies that struggle and that they won't survive. And you're going to have other people out there that are innovating and saying, look, I, I just got a good idea and they're going to get funding and they're going to, there's going to be an IPO in the next five years that none of us know anything about. And we're going to go, where the hell did this one come from? Right. 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 And so that's on the horizon. You, it doesn't, it's not apparent today because we're in the middle of this big correction, but it is on the horizon. There are, there are people going to their jobs that are, they're clever, they're smart. They're thinking about how to change something or make it better. And they're not going to be held back. And, and they're going to get a uh, risk capital. And then out of the blue, you're going to come up with this, this growth name. Right. And, and so, you know, always, if you get down and you feel like, oh, there's nothing like to do, you just remember we're laying the seeds for the next bull market. And then when it comes about to Scott's point, if you've got one of the great winners, you're going to have a, a time to ride that and uh, it'll take time, but you'll be well aware of, you know, understanding what you have and knowing its fundamental profile, its technical profile, it's, you know, and, and know that, look, I'm not going to just sell it on the first little wiggle and, and get spooked. Or if I do, I'm going to understand that, you know, I'm going to have to understand how to read bases and read the chart to know where to get back in. And that's what makes the, you know, makes it so exciting. I mean, it's not a, you can't tell the market when you need money. It's going to do what it's going to do. And you have to have patience since so you have to have enough wherewithal to survive during these difficult periods and just stay, you know, take risk off and raise cash. And, um, and it takes time to learn that, you know, I've been, I've been in the market for, oh God, I think it's now 32 years. Um, 30 years. Yeah. 30, 30 years. And so, you know, I remember what it was like when I was just starting and you don't, you don't, you know, you just think you can make money every time you go in there and put a trade on. And as you get older, you, you know, you just have more of a memory for the ebbs and flows of the market. And, and hopefully your listeners will, will learn from this. This is, a, this is an unbelievable, unbelievable experience for everyone to put in their memory bank and remember, because we're getting sort of a witness to mass psychology. We're getting a witness to government intervention. And uh, this, this will go down in the history books as equivalent to what happened during the depression. I don't know if we're going to go into a depression. I, no one knows, but the, that was such an extreme uh, situation of decline in wealth. And we're having the same thing go on right now that 
you know, if you can survive this and keep your powder dry and be really about, you know, smart about your, your the way you trade, there will be a period in the future where we're back to normal and you're going, hey, it's actually easier. It seems to be working. I'm not getting chopped up and, and the growth names are really delivering. And, and you'll see the valuations. This happened in, um, Scott was, I think it was like in the, in the prior to Reagan, prior in the, in the, in the 80s, early 80s, 80, 81. I was going through one of the model books that we have. We have all the examples. And I think, you know, Market Smith, uh, we send those out. Mike just finished that, didn't he? I think he finished the, the top stocks book. Top yes. stocks of 2019. Yeah. Yep. Model book. Um, we have these big volumes in our office from that that we've compiled going back to the 1800s. And in many of these bear markets, it would always shock me how much the multiples compressed, right? Because many of you listeners have probably are probably used to you you've probably been trading during the 11 year bull market where valuations were pretty expanded right they were you know people would get nervous about valuations being too high and i saw so many great growth names where the earnings were growing at 35 40 50% this is in the in the 80s right this is this is in that that cusp when we were moving you know the microsofts the wang computers and we were moving yeah. towards computerization of the of the of the business and then eventually the home and man i mean if you're if you're value centric and you're afraid to buy high pe stocks that was a phenomenal time to get into that 82 bull market we might have a similar situation here right where they're just taking everything out to the woodshed and they're just crucifying every name because it's panic selling and um you know we might find that as they build the right sides of their bases these stocks rally up on the right hand side you're not going to buy it at the absolute bottom and you don't want to because you don't know where that is. Um, but you might end up getting these things at very, very reasonable valuations. So you're not going to have a valuation risk. And then, you know, they deliver on their earnings. You'll say, okay, I'm, I'm actually got the wind at my back and it's starting to get easier. So that's the scenario that I hope plays out for everybody that's, that's, that's following this approach. But we take it day by day, you know, we remain flexible and, um, and, uh, you know, don't try to project, just interpret that action day by day. I'm here with Scott St. Clair, and Scott is one of the senior product coaches at Market Smith. Now, Scott, we've both been doing this for a long time, and we know that investment research takes a lot of time. There's so many factors that you want to look into to try to figure out whether this is a stock to buy or not. Quarterly earnings, huge sales growth. Hey, are institutions buying it? The list goes on and on. Yeah, it's a common question. I hear it all the time. I don't have time to, to do this work. So you don't have to spend that much time. If you have a tool like Marcus Smith, we do a lot of that work for you. Right there on the chart, earnings, sales, group strength, institutional sponsorship, like you just mentioned. Right. It's all there in the chart. So it allows you to make a decision much easier. Yeah. And the beauty is that we have in-house analysts that go through the SEC filings. They pull out those numbers and they put it right on the markets chart. And all you have to do is analyze them. Yeah. I couldn't imagine having to go to the SEC website and look at the income statement, et cetera. That sounds like a lot of work. Yeah. And, and, and that would take hours and hours. And in that time, you can go through hundreds of stocks and find the best ones. So don't miss out on a big winner because you don't have enough time to research it. For more information, go to investors.com slash podcast 2020.
let's quickly go through a, a, a few ideas that have come up on the radar. So one of them is Atlassian. Now we're familiar yeah, with it in-house because all our developers are, are using their products with Confluence and Jira. Yeah, I mean, this is one, uh, if you're just listening, it's uh, Atlassian is the symbol is team, T-E-A-M. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it came out in 16, um, uh, as an IPO. Uh, so it's, you know, it's, it's relatively new, had a beautiful prior uptrend, built a, a recent base, um, has a 94 relative strength rank. And what's interesting, I'll just talk, Arusha, about, you know, the process. And, yeah. and I'm not, any name that Scott and I mentioned, look, um, you know, we mentioned them because we we're familiar with them. It doesn't mean that we, you know, as a matter of fact, we're a uh, zero percent invested right now so we're not even in the market right so none of these right. names we own um we just are watching them and we're thinking about them through that checklist right of and and go back to so when you look at a chart my i'll just share with you my process if you if you look at a chart on market smith you you, you kind of can go through this um this rotation of looking at the earnings so can slim ca is the current earnings the annual earnings and you're checking that and you're you go to the, the quarterly block in the lower left-hand corner, and you can right. see here that the earnings are up 48% on the December 19 quarter, 40%. You verify that it's not, you know, some accounting uh, work that they actually grow in the top line, 37, 36, 36, very, very consistent top line growth. The annual numbers, the annual estimates going forward in 2021, um, 27% earnings growth expected, and it was, was, was revised up recently of a, a little triangle there. Um, those are the first things I look at really are the earnings. And those are the first things Bill would look at. And if we showed him a stock that had no earnings, you would just dismiss it and say, why don't waste my time. You know, I want to know that they are running a profitable business. Mm -hmm. And then you go and you start to look at the chart. So, you know, and the earnings are usually used, you know, the, you're trying to qualify them from a fundamental perspective. Is this even something I should be paying attention to? And yes, you've got the earnings, you've got the ROE, you, you've got, you know, their ROE is 29% for, for uh, Atlassian. When you go in, so I think I know what I should maybe be buying. That's the what should I buy? Now, when should I buy it? And that's when you're really looking at the chart. And in this current environment, you really want to pay attention to the relative strength line, the relative strength rank. And you really want to see if you can find a, um, a buy point that offers a low risk entry. There are definitely higher risk buy points and people that are get, you know, I'm going to use a, uh, a piercing of the 200 day moving average on the upside or the 50 day, or I'm going to use a shakeout plus three, or I'm going to use a, a pocket pivot or whatever, whatever you want to call it, right? Those are higher risk. Now, why are they higher risk? Because we profiled what these patterns tend to look like before a stock begins its big move. And so when Bill writes about five or six common patterns, and they're all ranges, right? They're a double bottom or a cup with handle or a saucer or a flat base. They're all essentially ranges the stock trades in. And we know that a stock behaves a certain way before they make their big move. And you're trying to validate that the stock you're looking at is exhibiting that same behavior. And if you can't validate that, then the pattern has not evolved enough yet. It hasn't, there's something anomalous and that means it doesn't fit our profile. So that means there's a higher probability that it may not act like a great winner when it breaks out. It just might be really volatile. It might break out in reverse or whatever. So we're really trying to evaluate the pattern. And so the one thing I'm going to call out to people, and I know if you're just listening, you can't see these, 
But really, you got to go back to the rules on, well, how long do these ranges typically last? You know, flat bases, I don't know, five to seven, can be as short as five weeks, seven weeks. But, you know, typically, you know, when you read Bill's work, these bases can tend to last 13 weeks, sometimes as long as 15 weeks. But 13 weeks happens to be, you know, the length of time of a quarterly reporting cycle, right? So when I look at, and Bill would go through and count every week of the base. And if I showed him a pattern, he goes, well, it's only got, you know, we're looking for 13 weeks. If it's a cup with handle and you've only got six, mm -hmm. he, it just hasn't formed yet. And he said, we got to be patient. We got to wait for this thing to form the proper base. And that's kind of where we are right now um, with many of these. There, there are not a lot, there are not many stocks that really have put enough time in as they've been range bound. But as you build your screens, you should be writing them down. You might have a dozen or two dozen names that, hey, it looks kind of okay, not too broken. And then in another four weeks or six weeks, that list will grow and grow and grow. And you'll say, what changed? Well, what changed was time went by and time will heal these wounds. And you're going to see names that are showing really good relative strength and both the ranking and the RS line. That means they haven't gotten pulled down with the general market. They're holding their own. That means you don't have that same kind of panic selling. Why don't we have that in, in Atlassian? Well, it's a great growth company. It's growing the top line and the bottom line, and it's offering a service that's probably uh, going to continue to grow if we work from home. And they're not. It's a service that's relatively immune from the shutdown, right? Right. So you know, and now, and the institutional uh, uh, sponsorship is not selling. They're selling other stocks. Um, yeah, that was a very good summary uh, on that, Steve. The only item I would add is when um, the listeners uh, pull it up, the team on their MarketSmith chart, the relative strength line is well into new high ground above the price. And that's another bullish indicator. But everything Steve went over is exactly how we've been trained. It's kind of clockwise going through the chart. Um, and one other point, back on the earnings that you had mentioned earlier is uh, I remember many times Bill highlighting if you had earnings growth annually where it was just that steady, freddy, consistent earnings growth year after year after year, that gave him that little bit of extra confidence. Um, but that was a good review. That's exactly how we do it, everyone. And you can see if you look at the, the, the nice thing about the uh Market Smith chart is we also plot the S&P 500 and that there's a thin black line that just shows you the closing price weekly of the S&P. And directionally, Arush is highlighting that. It really, you can see the big drop in the S&P, but then you can move your line down, your eye down to what this stock did. And it didn't- Good go one, down. divergent. Yeah. Exactly. No, and that, that, and that, conf, you know, that helps you to understand that's why the relative strength line is at a new high, right? It's, it's just holding up so much better. One of the things that we've also noted and studied, and many of you have probably read, is that there tend to be patterns like base on base patterns that occur um, in a stock while you're going through this difficult down market. You've got stocks that want to break out, but they can't break out and they just build another base. And so as you build screens or as you're looking at names, you're gonna you just need to teach yourself what is gonna be a typical pattern that's generally bullish. And then you know, Scott O'Neill and I would look at this and we're not at all bothered by the fact that this stock is not that uh, far from its all-time high. Many people are going to say, oh, but, you know, 
you, you got to get over that. This is a very basic uh, concept that, you know, novice investors are afraid to buy things that seem to be near their all-time highs, and they just don't believe that they're going to continue to go higher. But when you look at these historical models, we see it over and over and over again that strength begets strength, right? You want to avoid, and weakness begets weakness. So if you're going to be a bottom picker, and you're going to find, you're going to present us a stock, if you were to give us a name and say, here's one, it's, I love this. Um, and I look at it and the first thing I see is it's down 70%. You know, I'm going to get, I'm going to, what about Marriott? Should we buy all these travel companies? I think they're, how about Carnival Cruise Lines, right? Right. Well, Let's the pick the bottoms. We're going to say, okay, you're clearly, you got to go back to the book and read, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and we're going to say, they don't fit the profile of a great winner, right? You're right. This is, yeah, intellectually and conceptually, maybe you're right. Maybe maybe it's overdone and maybe they're going to get a big bailout and all the casinos are going to come back screaming higher and it's going to be a V bottom. But we Maybe, not, but you don't know. We don't know and we did not see that when we documented these thousands of great winners from the 1800s to today. We've got a big library of them. We just don't see that pattern, right? Um, and so you want to go with the higher probability bet where – Here's a company that's, this is not going to be a travel company or a hotel company or a cruise company that's going to just take it, you know, on the earnings where God knows when their earnings are going to turn around. You know, these guys have no leverage, you know, team like this, just from a business perspective, this is a much better um, risk profile than something that's down and out, you know, and Bill would always say, you get what you pay for. You're buying something that's 70, 80% off its high. You know, it's got to go up 300% just to get back to where it was before the correction. Right. What's, when's the last time any of us bought a stock that went up 300%? So, you know, the, the odds just are against you if you're a bottom picker. You want, to, you want to go back and recalibrate your thinking about why are we so interested in finding the bottom and get comfortable with buying things that are showing good relative strength and good, good highs. So, yeah, lots of, I know we're jamming a lot of great lessons in here, Arusha. <laughs> exactly. I was like, yeah. you're, you're, you're giving them a PhD right now. <laughs> oh, yeah, it's been 30 years of trading, but, um, you know, it's all fun. <laughs> you want to do and, one and, more stock? Yeah, let, let, let's do one more stock, Steve. Steve, your choice. Oh, I don't know. You know, let's look at JD. I, I, okay, I'm let's pull up JD. Chinese, uh, I talked about KDD and JD. You can look at all three of them, but, and, you know, here's JD.com, you know, this Chinese online retailer. And I, I'm just curious about, I mean, their, their earnings um, were triple digit there and then they slowed down 14%. The top line um, has been really consistent around 20%, you know, 13, 19, 24, 22%, 15% um, uh, return on equity. Uh, this is, I, if you contrast this stock technically, with I'll put up Alibaba, BBA, BA, and I'm looking at Chinese names only because I'm I'm intrigued by this idea that maybe China is the first to rotate out of this and maybe recover economically. But we'll see. We'll see in their numbers. <clears throat> you guys should clearly, if you look at these charts, there's a real difference in which one seems to be um, Alibaba is holding right at its 200-day, has a 91 RS, has a really you know RS line is hitting a, a new five-year high, but it looks to me like Alibaba is still forming the left side of its base, whereas JD looks like it's consolidating more and sort of calming down. So, you know, I'll, I'll sort of thematically shortlist this. And if we look at PDD, okay, I got three names in China. They're all yep. in the D2C space. They're offering, you know, and I know that there's a secular, you know, uh, trend over there. You know, PDD is, now the negative on PDD is they're just, 
you know, they just they had a negative 12%. They're not making money, right? And they're not expected to make money until 2021. So this is going to immediately, we would disqualify them if we were being really orthodox. Um, and I wouldn't just say, well, but they're serv- they're going to be the Walmart of China. It sounds cool and it sounds intriguing, but, you know, we would, we would wait for them to print some profits, right? Because there's, the sales growth is phenomenal, right? Yep. They're at 1.5 billion in revenue in, in the last quarter, right? And I mean, their sales growth is unbelievable and there's no it's denying incredible. that. Yep. But um, maybe they're like the Amazon. I, I tell the story often, I would go to Bill O'Neill with Amazon and suggest that we maybe put that on our approved list that we could purchase. And every time he would turn me down and he would always say they have no earnings. And we didn't, we never traded that stock even though it had a big move. And so we were being very orthodox. And then sure enough, when Amazon finally, you know, started to turn a profit, they weren't reinvesting in robotics and automation on the plant floor. And we saw their first profit. It did form a, a base and it did provide a proper pivot. And that's when Bill put it on. So, you know, you're, you're probably better served being really orthodox longer term rather than always kind of making exceptions. Cause I, I know people get into trouble. You make one exception here, then, you make another one over there and another one over there. And before you know it, you're not really following any rules. You're making, you're following the exception to the rule and then you get into trouble. Right. And, um, right. and so I, I, yeah, this one is definitely much more speculative, but um, it has a 96 relative strength rank. It's actually in a, a pattern here. It looks like a base on a base. You know, we had a, we had a cup, it rallied and then it sort of sold off and it's just sitting on that prior base. So that's a very typical, we see that often, with leading stocks, they just based on base while the general market's grinding through its bear market. And then when the market follows, it doesn't follow through and it turns, typically those base on base type uh, patterns will be the first to really run. And they'll almost like a spring that's getting wound up where there really was no desire for the owners to sell. You didn't have any real, real selling pressure. Like Scott was saying, the institutions knew what they had. They weren't interested in liquidating this. They're gonna, they're gonna own it for the longer haul. And then others are like, man, these guys are, you know, still killing it on the earnings. And so then you have new buyers coming in and, and then that would make for a, you know, a nice move in that stock, a nice rally that hopefully we can capture. Um, yeah, you know, I mean, I'd, I'd like to talk about process. I don't know. I don't have any other names. Um, um, I'll throw out, you know, much slower, more conservative, uh, but I like Microsoft. Uh, I actually owned it before the, the market break. Uh, and let's see how it forms now. It's come down on the left side, uh, but that's another one. Potentially, the relative strength line is well above um, the price where the price is. Um, yeah, these are good, solid, uh, what we call defensive growth names. You know, they, the, the earnings have been accelerating 21%, uh, 21, and then 37 in the last three quarters. Top line consistently growing at 14%, um, you know, good margin expansion. Buybacks. Buybacks. Not, and this is a, you know, you're not going to get the same um, uh, kind of daily juice. action and juice. And, you know, you shouldn't be desiring that either. But I would go back and ask, you know, what are they doing from a innovation standpoint? What are they doing? I know they're changing to a service-oriented model rather than, and, and they've done a very good job at doing that. Yeah, and Microsoft's also a good example of how a new CEO can come in 
right. change the culture. And that, that's what uh, Sadia and Nadalia did uh, yeah. by changing it, changing the direction more towards a service-oriented company and really changing the fortunes of Microsoft. And that, that you know, Good this point. Be- th- this could just be, you know, uh, a counterbalance. So you have a few higher octane names and then you have Microsoft. Right. Sometimes we, well, Scott and I will, we'll talk about like uh, weighting the portfolios or barbelling them with a core growth holding. It's more, a little more defensive growth, like a Microsoft um, or even an Amazon or, you know, an Apple, something like that. Big liquid, a lot of good sponsorship, but they are growing. Right. And, and, and then the other part of the portfolio is going to be a little more speculative, a little higher beta. Um, definitely uh, they need to be showing higher growth. Not like a Zoom, for instance. I mean, if, if, you know, Zoom is one where I'd be really nervous of adding all my chips on that one name because I just don't know whether the, the, the follow-on effect, they have a lot of free users, they're going to definitely have a good quarter, but I don't know if they're going to have a good second and third and fourth quarter. And so now that thing could run up and it could run right back down on you. Microsoft, on the other hand, has good earnings visibility, great management, a big moat. So, you know, barbelling or, or, or diversifying your own little portfolio with a more stable growth name versus a more high beta growth name is also uh, not a bad strategy when you're, when you're trying to you know, mitigate the risk of this crazy environment. That's perfect. Uh, so, so any other last words? I mean, you guys have spent almost two hours <laughs> sharing your experience here. Uh, so so I, I greatly appreciate it. Marusha, we would uh, I would, I'm sorry, I would just say patience and we will get our opportunity, patience. Yeah, I would love to come back in, uh, let's say in another quarter, maybe in three months where, where we'll, you know, if we, if we know bases needed to form and if we, you know, we don't know if the ultimate low is in and if we, if we come back and do another podcast, we can kind of revisit what we talked about today and then know, see, see what the tape did, right? Did we get some right. failed follow-throughs? Did we actually have a bottom? Where did that leadership come from? What were, you know, and that would be a nice recap if we, we should put that on the calendar and I'd be happy to do that in, you know, um, you know in, uh, in July. That's it for this week on Investing with IBD. Next week, we will have Thomas Lee on. He is the managing partner and head of research at Fundstrat Global Advisors. So that's it. I'm Arusha Pires, and thanks for listening. And for this week's Nilton Charts, make sure to go to Investors.com slash podcast, where you'll find details for each episode in the podcast episode section. And make sure to subscribe, rate, and review our podcast if you haven't already. We'd really appreciate it. You can also send us your questions and comments to investingpodcast at investors.com. We would love to hear from you and may use your comments on an upcoming episode. This podcast is for informational and educational purposes only, and nothing should be construed as a recommendation to buy, hold, or sell any securities. Make sure to consider consulting with your financial advisor before making any investment decisions.